Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. You would join with me in your Bible or your pew Bible. Our text today comes from Matthew's Gospel, the fifth chapter, verses 1 through 12. Hear with me now the words of the Lord. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and he sat down, and his disciples came to him, and he began to speak, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. My brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? So most holy Lord, We gather in this place, on this holy ground. We come to hear your word read and proclaimed. We know that the bell has been rung. And as we listen to its peal echo in our hearts, We pray that you would speak to us so that we would leave this place as a changed people, not as mere hearers of your word, but as doers of your word, ringing the bell out in the world around us. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So why are you here today? I mean, really, why, no, why are you here? It's not like an ethical question. It's why are you here? I mean, for some of you, you're here because it's your job. Let's be really clear. For some of us, it's our job. We're here. Now, others of you, maybe you're retired, and every day is Saturday, and to have a sense of normalcy, Sunday is still Sunday, so you're here. And then I'm guessing that some of you, you're here because there's a spouse or a parent, or a friend, or a child that drug you here and said, you're going to church today. And whether you want to do or not, you're here. But think with me deeper. 
Many of us are here seeking something, right? Maybe it's as someone said in a class this week, I'm seeking the fast pass, the lightning lane to heaven. Or I'm trying to figure out life and what it means. Or I wonder how I fit into the world. Or I'm looking for some good news. Or there's got to be more to life than sunrise, sunset, eat, sleep, work, school, or chores, rinse, and repeat. There's got to be more to that, right? Well, I have good news for all of us. We're in the right spot. Because what if I told you that today's text, that this, this, this text that we listened, that the last five questions I just listed, why you might be here, that the answer to those is in a day's text. And those 12 verses, the very beginning of the fifth chapter of Matthew's gospel. Now I gotta tell you that this is one of my favorite pieces of scripture. If you ever said to me, say, Glenn, you ought to do a sermon series on your favorite scriptures of the Bible, this will make the cut. But to really understand it, I think we need to understand the context of what's going on in the text, of what is happening in this gospel. Because Matthew's gospel, like all the synoptic gospels, has a voice, it has a particular audience that Matthew is writing to. So think about this with me. You got Mark's gospel. Mark's is the shortest of them all. Think of it as kind of the Wikipedia of the gospels. It's the one that sort of truncates Jesus' life and just gives you just the facts and straight on. Then there's Luke. Luke is writing this gospel, it's sort of a a two-volume series because it's Luke's gospel and then it's the book of Acts. Luke has been commissioned by Theophilus, this rich Roman person, to tell the story of Jesus's life and the history of the early church. So he's kind of writing a history narrative for a Roman, which gets us to Matthew's gospel. Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience. He's writing to convince them, showing all of the work, all of the evidence, all of the stuff, all of what's happening as to why Jesus is the Messiah. And this is really important because he's not trying, he's just trying to convince them that Jesus is the Messiah, the one that they had been hoped for, God with us, that he's come. That's why the first four chapters of Matthew's gospel are really about it's the background of who this Jesus is and why he is the Messiah. But then what happens in chapters 5 through 7, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, we'll get back to that in a minute, what happens is is Jesus' teachings. Jesus is telling us how to live, how to interpret the law and all the prophets and everything that's gone before. So the Jewish people would understand this. And then chapter 8 to the very end is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in action. As if we may not have understood what he was teaching us, he's now showing us what that looks like, how to live that out. Jesus proving his ministry to the world, the points of this lesson. So Amy Jo Levine, she's the New Testament professor at Vanderbilt Divinity School, and she's writing this, she says, you've got to remember when you read Matthew's Gospel, and specifically the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus is a Jew speaking to other Jews. He's not trying to convert them. He's trying to tell them, like, look, you've read the Law and the Prophets. This is what it really means. 
And what's really happening, because the Sermon on the Mount is three chapters, it's five, six, and seven. Let me just tell you, Jesus didn't preach this one day on the mountainside all in its entirety. I mean, that, I mean imagine this. That would take a long time. How many of you would stick around if I went on for about two more hours? Not going to happen. Just relax. Lunch is coming. We'll be here soon enough. But anyway, what happens is Matthew, in writing this, Matthew is sort of this, he's doing a, a, a technique. It's really a brilliance of biblical marketing. He takes Jesus' teachings that he's learned and he smooshes them together and he sets the stage for them on a mountainside. And we have called it scholarly, we call it the Sermon on the Mount because of where it is how Matthew's built his gospel. But really what this is, this is kind of like Jesus' greatest hits in terms of teachings. He's condensed it down, and so he sets the stage on the mountainside. Why? Because if you remember, what did Moses do when he wanted to be close to God? He went to a mountain. What did Jesus do when he prayed before his ministry began? He went to the mountain. So with his teaching, it makes sense. If you want to be close to God, we must go up on a mountain. And he goes up there to teach his disciples... But Jesus knows the crowd will follow. And he knows the crowd will be sort of like on the outer ring. They will overhear the teaching. The teaching is to the 12. Because they're the ones that are going to carry his mission into the world. But he knows everyone else will listen. And how this sermon, if you will, starts is an indicator of what's to follow. See, these 12 verses, they're called the Beatitudes, which is from the Latin word beati. This is a phrase that we've given it, the Beatitudes, as we looked at the Bible over years, as biblical scholarship happened, just like we started calling it the Sermon on the Mount. The same thing happens here. This section, we broke it up and broke it off and called the Beatitudes. And beati in Latin means one of three things. It means bless, happy, or rich. And there's some translations that instead of using blessed are, they use happy are or rich are. However, I think to get to the the base of this, what Amy Jill Levine says is stick with the word blessed. Because that's what the people would have understood it to being. Blessed. Because blessed makes more sense than happy are those who mourn or rich are those that are poor. Because the other idea of blessing is that a blessing is something that means more. There's a sense of ownership. There's a gift that's been given to you that we take ownership of, and then we have a responsibility for. A blessing, there's no fleetingness to it. It won't go away like riches or happiness. Blessed is something you hold on to and sink your teeth into. So Jesus is speaking to the disciples. He's talking to them and really to us as observers 2,000 years later. And he says, blessed are you. Now here's what's interesting. If you look at this, the first three blessings are really about a way to be in the kingdom of heaven. And the next six blessings are really about a way to live out this being, to live out your faith, to live in the kingdom of heaven. So we fix these things on our hearts, then maybe we have the answer to that question, why are you here? What did you come seeking today? Because it's right here. You came seeking a way to be in God's kingdom, and now you know a way to live out God's kingdom in the world around you day in 
and day out. So this idea of a, a way to be, think about the verb to be. It's about a definitiveness to it, right? So there's a condition, there's a condition of the self, there's a sense of who you are when you know how you are to be. You know, the state motto that we have, esse quam videri, to be rather than to seem, there's a definition. There's a point that we make with that. So this first part of the Beatitudes, what Jesus is talking about, he's trying to sort of reorient the listener's mind to understand how to be. So he's reprogramming them. He's trying to tell them, forget what you know, forget what you're trying to do. Let's start from scratch. Let's shut the world out and start here. Let these next three statements be the fundamentals, if you will, the foundation for how you should be in the kingdom of heaven. So blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This whole idea of poor in spirit, there's a lot of different ways to look at this, but I think one of them we ought to get to is this, that poor in spirit means that we recognize that we depend on others and that others depend on us. There's this higher way of thinking. I mean, it can be kind of meddlesome if you get to it, that we depend on others and others depend on us. I mean, how did you get where you are? Now, just think about your life in itself, in all, of its, in all of its sort of glory and all that you have. How did you get there? Did you really get there by yourself? When you look at sort of your piece of the kingdom of the earth, is it all yours? Did you really earn it all by yourself? Did you really get it by pulling yourself up by your bootstraps? Was it all just you singularly or did you have help along the way? No, at some point, someone poured into us, right? At some point, someone gave us a break. Someone gave an advantage to us that we didn't ask for, that we didn't seek out. At some point, we were lifted up. We got a break. And that's how we landed where we are. And so poor in spirit, we begin to realize that we are blessed and that we have been blessed in untold ways, maybe even... We didn't deserve these blessings, but we still got them. But the next part of that is just as important. Not only did we receive these blessings, this hand up, but we start to look around and we see that the world needs it. That there are people in the world that they need help, they need a leg up, they need someone to lift them out. And what does it help? It helps us recognize that we need to do these things too. I think about how I got to this place. I got to this place simply... Because there were people that were pulling for me, that were pouring into me, that were guiding me. When I first came into ministry, there was a, a retired clergyman in Thomasville by the name of Wilbur Jarrett. And Wilbur helped me sort of take everything I'd learned in seminary and put it into practice just on the ground. He would tell stories, but what he was really doing was pouring into me and mentoring to me. And so what leaves this idea of pouring the Spirit is, who are we pouring into? Who are we mentoring who are we helping out? That's what matters most. So we begin to realize that we have this need to share what we have been given. The second is, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now the interesting thing about this is, is it sounds really harsh at first, but think about when we mourn the loss of a loved one. The joy in this is that we had someone 
that we cared about that deeply, someone that we miss in our lives, someone that had an impact on us. So as those flood of memories and ideas come back, there is a blessedness to that. This idea that we be comforted is, is that we are not alone, that God just doesn't leave us by the roadside, that God is standing there with us, but better yet, that we are surrounded by others who comfort us. And so the fact that we care and are cared for, we begin to realize how blessed we are. So we begin to look out on our community around us and we begin to mourn what we see, whether we see the violence or the abuse or uh, the poverty. When, When that starts to eat at our souls, we care. Blessed that we mourn, which means we care about the world. And what it tells us to do is that we also must go and comfort the world. That we must think about our community. We must look out for each other. We must do all of those things. And so that's what happens to us is that we've got to get there and we've got to do what we need to do to care for the world. Then we get to the idea of blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now this is not about shrinking violets. This is not about mousy people hiding in the corners. This idea of blessed for the meek is about people who have been given great authority but approach life humbly. Think about Jesus as he's teaching this. Blessed are the meek. This is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and what's he doing? He's teaching the disciples, but how did he enter the earth? He came as a babe in a manger. How will he enter Jerusalem in his triumphant entry? He will be a king on a donkey. So this idea of blessed are the meek is about servant leadership. It's about not ego and prestige. It's about the whole and thinking about others first. It's about people and community. It begins to change the way we think about this. In other words, what happens is blessed are the meek, blessed are those who lead humbly because they will inherit the earth, meaning we will be given great power and responsibility. Leaders have this inheritance to preserve, not for themselves, but for future generations. I think about what we've inherited just in this building, through what humble leaders sought for us and our future. What are we leaving for future generations? This idea is it's not about ego, though. It's really about what is good for the whole. I think about a story that a friend of mine tells me. He's in one of those churches that's sort of experiencing some changes They've got, they've got the Sunday school classes. They've got a new one that started up, and it is packed to the gills. They are sitting cheek to cheek, shoulder to shoulder, and it's an exciting new Sunday school class for the young adults. But yet down the hall is the church Sunday school class full of all of the matriarchs and patriarchs, and their numbers are shrinking. They have the largest classroom. There's a dilemma Now, you and I know that the dilemma, the easy answer is, is that what should happen is the two groups should change places. But how that comes about isn't always as cut and dry. In some churches, what will happen is, is they will say, no, this has been our class for 50 years and you can have it when we're gone. Who cares how tight and packed in our young adults are? And in others, no one has to ask. They just see the math on the wall and say, you know, we should trade places. 
because something exciting is happening in our church. Who are the meek in that story? See, these first three, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, it sets the tone for how we are to be as followers. And then it quickly gives away to the next steps as to how we are to live. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jesus says. It's not self-righteousness, it's not holier-than-thou attitudes, but it's about what is right for the world, about seeking the best for everyone that we meet. Those that hunger and thirst for righteousness work tirelessly to lift people up till all are loved and all are seen and all are known that they matter in the kingdom of God. It's about treating people with words like dignity and respect and valuing them. It's about providing hope and peace and joy and love. Blessed are the merciful. How often have we sought mercy in our lives. I mean, take a minute with you. There's a, there's a blank space in the back of the bulletin. If you were to write down all the ways that you came up short this week, all the places where you asked for forgiveness, where you asked for grace and mercy, that's just this week. But imagine about the whole world around us. Imagine how long that list would be. Well, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. What it's really about is, do we share grace with each other? Do we judge each other by one snap image or do we take the time to sit down and go, you don't seem like yourself. What's going on? Or what's happened to you? Or what's going on now? And really listening. So rather than judging them by a snap image instead, by showing mercy and care and grace. This is not pity, this is mercy. This is not, oh, bless his heart. Y'all know what I mean by that, right? Oh, bless his heart. This is not that, this is bless him. It's a different statement. We Southerners know how to parse that out. Bless his heart is not a positive statement, right? Bless him in the church, though. Watch out now, because the heavy artillery is on the deck. We're all in the game. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Now, I love the pure in heart because you know who they are, right? They're the Disney World people. You laugh, but they're the ones that they see shiny, they see the bright and shiny in everything. They see the best in the worst of times. They see the best in us when we are not our best selves. The pure in heart see the good in everyone. And they bring out the good in all of us. Blessed are the peacemakers. We know what they do. They stop the foment and the anger and the vitriol in this world. They don't just try to get people to get along, but they try to get people to make a difference in the way that they live. They beat swords into plowshares, spears into pruning hooks. And finally, the persecuted. Blessed are you who are persecuted for my name's sake. These are people that, this is when we're called to live a higher calling. No matter what people say about us, no matter what people think about us, no matter how people castigate us out to the side because we might be a little too good for them or a little too controversial for the sake of righteousness, what God says is that's okay because you're on the right path. See, these six guide how we live and how we should live in God's kingdom. So back to my original question. 
Why are you here today? Did you come looking for the fast pass? Looking to figure out the meaning of life? Looking to wonder where you fit into the world around you? Looking for some good news? Seeking a new pattern of life, not just rinse and repeat day in and day out? See, Jesus calls us to join him on the mountainside, calls us to listen and gives us the answer that we are blessed. That we are blessed and called to just be with him. To depend on others and let others depend on us. To care for the world and each other to lead with humility, to just be with him. But the other part of that is to just do as Jesus did, to seek righteousness always, to show mercy every day, to see the best in each other, to seek peace and to stand up for what is right, no matter the cost. So when we take this nugget of news away with us, this way of being and living, that we are drawn closer to God just as we are drawn up to the mountaintop. And we realize that we have received the truest blessing of life because we have become the people God always wanted us to be. And that, my friends, is the calling that makes a difference in the world around us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast for Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you will consider joining us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. Blessings. Blessings.